Amen. Thank you, guys. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1 with me this morning. Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to take a detour out of our series on 2 Corinthians and look at some Christmas themes the next couple of weeks. Hebrews chapter 1, the announcement that changed the world. The announcement that changed the world. You know, folks, communication is a very delicate thing. And oftentimes, I think you would have to agree with me, uh, our communication with one another can be misunderstood. I think, for instance, of a publication by the Massachusetts Bar Association in their journal that they produce. They printed a series of questions and answers that had literally been heard in courtrooms when prosecutors or defense attorneys would question those up on the witness stand. Here's some of the questions and answers. Now doctor, isn't it true that when a person dies in his sleep, He doesn't know about it until the next morning. Now, sir, the 20-year-old, the youngest son, now, how old was he? Were you present when your picture was taken? Were you alone or by yourself? Was it you or your younger brother who was killed in the war? How far apart would you say the vehicles were at the moment of collision? (laughs) Now you were there, sir, until the time you left. Is that true? She had three children, right? How many were boys? None. Were there any girls? How was your first marriage terminated? By, By death? And by whose death uh, was it terminated? (laughs) Doctor, how many autopsies have you performed on dead people? Well, sir, all of my autopsies have been performed on dead people. And finally, do you recall the time that you examined the body? Well, the autopsy started around 8.30 p.m. And Mr. Dennington was dead at the time, right? No, he was sitting up on the table wondering why I was doing an autopsy on him. (laughs) Communication is definitely a tricky thing. And I think you would have to confess that oftentimes you and I make a mess out of it. In fact, sometimes we we wish we could go back and have some moments to do over in communication. But folks, God is never that way. God's communication is always clear and always powerful. And that's what we see in these verses in Hebrews chapter 1 today. We see that God has communicated to mankind in many ways, but especially through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, We see here that His Son is the most powerful and complete way that God has spoken to the human race. 
Now let's stand for the reading of God's Word and we'll begin in verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be, a, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same. And your years will have no end. And which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to thank you today for the meaning of the Christmas season that we have come here to celebrate today. You sent your only begotten Son who left the glorious scene of heaven and came to a sin-sick and dark world. He gave up the praises of angels for the insults of men. We know that even today many in the world would like to erase all knowledge of Jesus Christ from Christmas. But God, without your Son, without Jesus, there is no redemption. And with no redemption, there is only darkness and lostness. Father, thank you that despite the reception of the world, Jesus laid down his life. As the scripture says, the just died for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Lord, help us to see in this text today how clearly you have communicated. You've communicated your love to a lost world. You've communicated your love to us. Certainly we see that all of this was not a last minute thought. It wasn't an afterthought. In fact, the Bible says from eternity past, this has been your plan. God, we want to pray for that one today who as of yet does not enjoy peace with you. 
They've not had their sins canceled. They still have the burden of their sin and their sin debt. God help them to see today the promise of the Bible in John 1 that we read earlier. That through believing in Jesus Christ, you give them the right to become children of God. Today, may they enter into your forever family. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, the first thing I want you to notice with me today is the activity of the Father. The activity of the Father. When we look at the Scripture, when we read the Scripture and we see all of the actions and all of the words of God, we confess that we serve a God who has not been silent. He has been very active in His creation. He says there beginning in verse 1, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. God is not silent. God has been speaking. God has been working in His creation. Now notice what the writer of Hebrews has to say first about God's activity and God's speaking. We see first of all that God spoke in the past. In verse 1 he says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Thank God that he speaks. If God did not speak, if God did not take the initiative with us, there is no way we could come to know him. You see, man falsely thinks he can know God through his reason or through his experiences or through his feelings. Those are some of the isms of the day. The reason is our rationalism, experiences, existentialism, feelings uh, is intuitionism. And man thinks through those three things that he can somehow or another know truth and come into a relationship with God. But the Bible says... It's simply not possible those those ways. In all of those ways, man falls desperately short. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death and there are none who are righteous. There is none who seeks after God. Altogether, we have become as an unclean people, the Bible says. We can't come to know God through all these human avenues. It is necessary for God to take the initiative and come to us. And and that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus... He was born of a a virgin, born under the law to redeem those under the law. All of this took place, the Bible says, in the fullness of time. When we could not reach up to God, God reached down to us. 
And again, folks, we need to be so grateful for that because if God had not expressed His love for us that much, if God had not done that for His people, there is no way we could have been saved and there's no way we could experience knowledge of Him. He communicates. He speaks. And the writer of Hebrews points out how He spoke in the past. He spoke in the prophets or by the prophets, the text says. He spoke through men like Moses. He spoke through men like Samuel and Joshua and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel all the way down to Malachi. And how did he speak through the prophets? What did he have to say? Well, let's take for instance one of those prophets this morning. One that we commonly read about at a time of year like this. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now that is just one example of how God spoke to his people through the prophets. I think of another instance. I think of Micah 5.2. You'll recall when the wise men got to Herod and they saw we've come, they said we've come to worship the one who is born uh, king over the Jews. We, we want to find him. Where is he? Well, Herod had no idea. And so the Bible says that Herod called together all of the scribes and all the wise men and the teachers of the law and asked them and they said, oh, that's easy. He's to be born in Bethlehem according to the prophet Micah. And so what we find in the scripture in the Old Testament that God spoke to his people through the prophets. He spoke through the prophets. And the writer of Hebrews goes on to say here he spoke in many ways or in many portions. Many different books, different prophecies in the Old Testament. For instance, we have the law. We have the historical books that is the narrative of God dealing with his chosen people, the Jews. We have the wisdom writings like the book of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Uh, The Song of Solomon, Job, all of those were the, the books that made up the wisdom literature. And we have the prophets, the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And then the 12 minor prophets that the Old Testament closes with. Now they were called minor prophets not because their message was less significant than the major prophets but simply to indicate that their books were shorter than the books of the major prophets. But God has spoken to his people through all these different prophets in many ways. 
Now think again about that phrase when you hear many ways or many portions. God spoke through direct communication. I think of how he spoke to Moses, for example, at the burning bush. I think of how God said to Moses, go to Egypt and deliver my people. And and here's a staff, take this staff with you. And when you get before Pharaoh, throw this staff down and it's going to become a serpent. And then pick it back up and it'll be a staff in your hand again. And that will be a witness to Pharaoh. And then he told Moses, he said, if, if, if uh, Pharaoh doesn't believe that, then put your hand inside of your, inside of your uh, cloak and, then, and pull it out and it'll be leprous and then put it in and pull it back out again and it'll be made whole. And then God spoke to Pharaoh and the Egyptians through all of those plagues that they experienced. He spoke to Elijah In that still, small voice. He spoke through Hosea, spoke to Hosea and through Hosea uh, by Hosea's marriage and by his family. He spoke to Amos in a basket of summer fruit. God spoke in visions and dreams. I think of what he did in the book of Daniel. Daniel was one of those young Hebrew children that was taken by Nebuchadnezzar into exile in Babylon. And and there in Babylon, uh, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's food or any of the practices of the Babylonians. And Daniel became a great witness for God. And God revealed dreams and visions to Daniel and Daniel went and shared those with the king. And and Daniel, for all of those 70 years of the Babylonian exile, Daniel had a powerful influence on the lives of his people there in exile. And Daniel had a powerful witness on those Babylonian kings. But God has spoken in all those various ways. Well, how did he do that? Second Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Did you hear that? Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Folks, it was all inspired, the inspired word of the living God. And it was perfect. But as the writer of Hebrews is pointing out here, while it was perfect... It was incomplete. It was fragmentary. You see, the Old Testament pointed forward to something far better. Theologians call it progressive revelation. God 
God didn't share everything with Mo- the whole canon of Scripture. God didn't share with Moses. We we read in the New Te- in the Old Testament, and God added to the to the canon of Scripture. We get to the New Testament, and God inspired prophets and apostles there to write His word all the way down through the Book of Revelation, through the close of the canon. Little by little, through the centuries, God's people received God's revelation. To the point today that we have the closed canon of scripture. Progressive revelation. And in the Old Testament the writer of Hebrews is saying as God was sharing these things. As God was pointing forward to the new covenant. He was speaking to his people through the prophets and in many ways. But ah. It wouldn't be until the opening of the New Testament. It wouldn't be until the Lord Jesus Christ that God would speak to his people in the final and complete way. And that's what the writer goes on to say here in verse 2 that God speaks in the present. He spoke in the past through prophets in many ways, in various portions. But he's spoken to us, he goes on to say, in these last days through his son. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, folks. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That Jesus was born in a manger, born of a virgin. He was fully God and fully man. And he came to this earth that he might grow up and go to that cross and die for your sin and my sin. And having come as a man, he's able to, he experienced all that we experience and yet without sin. And God did it that way. So that now in his intercessory work, when we go to him with our weaknesses and our temptations, he's able to relate to us. He understands because he was born as a man, he walked in our shoes. Praise God for the way he's done things. Amen? But again, this is what we celebrate at Christmas. That God has spoken to his people In his son. Years ago, an anonymous writer wrote these words. He said, more than 1900 years ago, there was a man born contrary to the laws of life. This man lived in poverty and was reared in obscurity. Only once did he cross the boundary of the country in which he lived. And that was during his exile in childhood. In infancy, he startled the king. In childhood, he puzzled the religious doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature, walked upon the billows as if on pavement, and hushed the sea to sleep. He never wrote a book, and yet all the libraries of the country could not hold the books that had been written about him. He never wrote a song, and yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all the songwriters combined. He never founded a college, but all the schools put together cannot boast of having as many students. Though time has spread many years between the people of this generation and the scene of his crucifixion, yet he still lives. Herod could not destroy him, and the grave could not hold him. He stands forth upon the highest pinnacle of heavenly glory, proclaimed by God, acknowledged by angels, adored by saints, and feared by devils. 
as the living personal Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our God. Now to these words, another writer has added, 19 centuries have come and gone, and today he is still the central figure of the human race. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life. There has never been, nor will there ever be, another like Jesus Christ. He is God's Son, the second person of the Trinity, and He came to save you and me from our sins. The Bible is saying here that God has spoken to us in these last days through His Son. Now folks, as we open up the newspapers of today and see the headlines or watch the news on television or the internet and we see all the troubles going on around the globe, we can't help but think that we might be at the last of the last days. But I want you to understand the last days began... When Jesus came to this earth in the incarnation. The Bible describes that as the last period, the last days. Because what it means by that is that we're not, we're not waiting on this age to close out. And God's going to send somebody else to be another savior. No. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And so when the Old Testament closed and God sent His Son to be our Savior and the Lord, that that began the last ages, the end of the ages. Because He's the final way that God has spoken to the human race. Now, of course, we're waiting on Him to come back for His bride But God spoke to us through Christ in these last days. There's not going to be some other way. Jesus is the supreme way. In the most fullest and complete sense, God has come to us. Folks, think about how we communicate. Let's take, for instance, the President of the United States. If he wants to communicate to some foreign leader, what will a president oftentimes do? He will send one of his cabinet members to be his spokesperson. He will send somebody to be his ambassador. If the president himself goes, that's the best way to communicate. Well, God has communicated by sending Himself, sending His only begotten Son. Guys, think of it this way. Say you're on a business trip and it's your wife's birthday. You certainly wouldn't call up your secretary and say, Hey, would you call my wife and wish her a happy birthday for me? If you do that, you better not come home. When you do come home, you better bring the doghouse with you. You go yourself. You speak yourself. And that's what God did in the incarnation. He sent His Son. 
Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. John 1, 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Folks, what I want you to see this morning is that God is active. God is speaking. God is at work. God is not the God of the ancient deist. The deist who believed that God was sort of like a clockmaker. That God created this universe, he put all the natural laws in place, and then he just kind of hung the universe out in space, and he has walked completely away from his universe. They compared him to being like a clockmaker who would, who would build the clock and create the clock and then wind it up and get it going and then walk over and set it up on the mantle to run all on its own and then the clockmaker walks away from it. No, that is not how the God of the Bible is. After he created the universe, he is intimately involved in his universe. And he is speaking to his people and all through biblical history he is calling his people into a relationship with with himself. God is still calling. He's calling people to come to him through his son, the Lord Jesus. But are we listening? Are we listening? This is a time of the year that is so busy, it's so cluttered with activity and distractions. There's all kinds of added stresses on families during this time of the year. Do we take the time to stop and listen to what God is saying to us? What might God be saying to you this morning? Maybe for weeks, months, perhaps even years, God has been convicting you through the power of His Holy Spirit that you're a sinner and that you can't save yourself and you need Jesus. Folks, you have nothing to gain by putting off that decision and potentially everything to lose by continuing to put that off. Maybe there's somebody else in here this morning that God is calling you to a life of missions. We saw the Lottie Moon video a moment ago. And perhaps God is calling you and your spouse and your family to the mission field. And maybe not just for 10 or 12 or 14 days. But maybe God is calling you to be a career missionary somewhere for 20, 30, 40 years. Will you listen? What is God calling on you to do? Perhaps there's some relationship in your life that has gone sour. And as a believer, you know that the Bible tells you that you need to go to that person. And is as much as is possible with you, you need to be at peace with all men. You need to try to get right with that individual. How is God speaking to you this Christmas season? 
Is God telling you that maybe there's some rearranging that needs to be done in your life because your days and nights are spent solely on your agenda and you're living for self and the things of the world? And maybe God is saying to you this Christmas season that you need to start laying up your treasures in heaven and seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You see, God's still speaking. He speaks to us through His Word. He speaks to us through Jesus Christ. He calls us to Himself. He calls us into a relationship with Himself. And it is a life-changing encounter after God speaks to us and touches our life and redeems us. We are never the same again. Is God speaking to you? As the writer of Hebrews goes on to say in chapter 2 and following, Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart as they did in the days of old. We need to say, God, give me a soft and a tender heart to be able to hear you. I want an obedient heart. God, I want, to, I want to be like that clay in, in Jeremiah 18 where, where your relationship with your people was compared to that between a potter and the clay as he would take that lump of clay on the potter's wheel and that wheel would turn and he would shape and mold that clay. God, that's how I want to be in your hands. Is that your prayer this Christmas season? I hope that it is. Folks, for centuries, men have tried to reach up to God and bridge the gap between God and man through religion. And it can't happen that way. The Bible tells us it can't happen that way. It'd be like all of us standing this morning on one edge of the Grand Canyon and we were all going to try to jump over. We'd get a running start and try to jump clearly over to the other side. Now some people might be able to jump further than others but the fact of the matter is we would all fall to our deaths. We would all come short. You see that is how it is. If man tries to bridge the gap between himself and God all of his attempts fall short. And that's why God bridged the gap through Jesus. When we couldn't reach up to him he came to us. Amen? That's the difference in Christianity and between just the religions of the world where even today people all over the world are trying to do things to be acceptable to God. But God has finished the work of redemption in His Son and He's calling upon us to believe in Him. You see, Christianity... It is not simply a code. Christianity is not a a, a creed. It's not a philosophy. It is a person. Philip Brooks, a great preacher from another time, was once asked the question, is it necessary to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ to be a Christian? The great preacher paused for a moment and then he replied, My friend, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is Christianity. 
John records Jesus' very words in John 14, 6 where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. God is speaking. He spoke in the past in the old covenant through the prophets in many ways. Many prophets, different books, different ways, visions, dreams, proclamations as they said, thus saith the Lord. He's spoken to us in the new covenant in these last days by His Son. The activity of the Father. He's a God who speaks. A God who pursues a love relationship with us. Second thing I want you to see this morning is the accolades of the Son. Beginning there in verse 2. He, he says there, but in these last days He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Notice what he points out here that first of all Jesus is superior to the prophets. Jesus is superior to the prophets. A lot of people today if you were to meet them on the streets of the city and, and sort of do maybe on the street type interviews with them and you were to ask them the question who is Jesus Christ? Some of them would say he was a good man, a good teacher, he was a prophet. But folks, the Bible says that he was more than a prophet. Look at the way he's described here. He's described the first phrase that is used in verse 2. He says, whom whom he appointed heir of all things. Heir, that's a title of dignity. Jesus Christ owns everything. You see, when Jesus Christ went back to the right hand of God, he simply went back to what had always rightfully been his. Psalm 2, the psalmist says, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. And the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, you shall shatter them like earthenware. The scripture says that God is in the process of putting all things under his feet. He's the heir. Of all things. Added to that, look at the next phrase. He goes on to say, through whom also he made the world. In Genesis 1:1, the Bible says, In the beginning, and it speaks of God creating, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God created things on the first day and ended up that day by saying, and it was good. Second day, he created other things. It was good. Third day, so forth and so on, until he got to the end and said, this is very good. God created all things. But folks, the Bible says in the New Testament that Jesus Christ was the agent 
of creation. Colossians 1.15 says, He, speaking of Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. The Son was the agent of creation. So he's creator and he's also the heir of what he's created. What does that communicate? That communicates to us that everything is rightfully his. And when he uses the word world here, he's not just simply referring to the material world around us, but it's, it's a word that refers to all space, time, matter, and energy. It all belongs to Christ. You and I belong to him. He created us. He's our rightful owner. He's our rightful owner. A third phrase that he uses here is he is the radiance of God's glory. The glory of God can be seen in Jesus. That's why again Jesus said if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now there's an analogy here that theologians use and they confess that It's an analogy that falls short because after all, any analogy that you use to describe God is going to fall short. But the analogy is of the sun and the sun's rays. Picture a dark night when the sun rises over the horizon and it casts its brilliant rays uh, over a pond and across a field. What a beautiful sight that is to behold the sunrise, the rays of the sun. There's no way to separate the rays of the sun from the sun itself. Well, what the rays of light are to the sun, Jesus is to the Father. He is the radiance of his glory. Then he goes on to say here, he's the exact representation of his nature. And the phrase exact representation is the rendering of a word that referred to a stamp or a die. You would stamp something and it would leave the representation of the stamp. It would leave the exact image. Now folks, this statement about Jesus goes even further than the previous statement. Because this statement says that the one who reflects God's glory also shares his nature. Again, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You could never have said that about a prophet in the Old Testament because it wouldn't be true. No prophet, no angel is the exact representation of God. But Jesus Christ is because he's God's son. Then he goes on to say in verse 3, he upholds all things by the word of his power. And that word upholding means carrying along. 
Folks, it is the same word that is used in a very touching story in Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, there is a man who is paralyzed. And he's laying on a mat. He's laying on a mat. He can't get up and walk anywhere. And everybody hears that Jesus is in town and Jesus has been healing a lot of people. And so this man who's paralyzed and laying on a mat has four precious friends. And each one of those dear friends gets a corner of that mat and and he lifts that mat up. He upholds it and he carries that man to the house where Jesus is. And they get to that house where Jesus is and they find out that they can't go through the front door because there's a huge multitude there. And so what do they do? They go up the staircase on the outside of the home, up onto that flat roof that was so characteristic of the houses back then. They dig through the roof and they lower that man down into the presence of Jesus. And Jesus Christ heals that paralyzed man. Those friends those friends were upholding that man on that mat. And what this phrase is saying here that that Jesus Christ as the agent of creation he upholds the whole created order everything that he uh, that is he upholds by the power of his word and he carries it along he sustains it he's not only created the world but he sustains the world he's sovereign God he's in control You know what that says to me? That says to me that things in history are not an accident. History is his story. And he is moving it along to the ending. To the ending script that he has written. That he has ordained. Amen? This world is not just some kind of big accident and all the chaos at times that goes on in the world. God is moving things along to its desired conclusion. That also says to me and it says to you, if God can do that with the whole created order, He can certainly do it with your life and my life. Amen? Don't you think the one who created the world and upholds it and moves it along, don't you think he can take care of you? That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25 and following, Don't be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or drink or what you should wear. He said all the pagans, all the unbelievers are worried about these things. But he said as my children you can trust That if God has created your life, which is the greater thing, He can certainly look after the details of your life, which is the lesser thing. And so that frees us up not to worry. And that frees us up to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He carries everything along. And now in verse 3, I also want you to see that phrase... Uh, When he had made purification for sins. Folks, that's why Jesus became flesh. He became flesh so he could go to the cross having lived a life without sin. And there on the cross he could die in your place and my place. He would be our sin sacrifice. He came to die For sin. 
wherever man is knowledgeable of his sins, wherever he senses in his heart that he sinned, he wants to be clean. He wants to do something that he can be clean and have peace with God. But everything he does of his own merit won't work. All of his attempts fail. But Jesus never fails. Jesus made purification for our sins. Folks, if we were to take a survey through the book of Hebrews where it talks about what he did for sins, we would find in chapter 2 verse 17 that he made propitiation for our sins. In chapter 8 verse 12, we would see that Jesus took care of putting away all of our sins. In 9.15, he brought about redemption from sins. In 9.28, he bore our sins. In 10.12... He made sacrifice for our sins. In 10.18, he made an offering for our sins. In other words, what the book of Hebrews is pointing out, whatever needed to be done with sin to get rid of it, Jesus did it. Jesus took care of it. He's purified us. He's forgiven us. And he's cleansed us. He's reconciled us to God, made peace through the blood of His cross. When it says He made purification, the tense is aorist. It's past. It's complete. His work at the cross was finished. I think of that little boy who was a member of a Calvinistic church. He came forward one day and he said, I want to be saved. And he went on to say, I've done my part and Jesus has done his part. They said, wait a minute, son, wait a minute. Don't you know that we can't do a part in our salvation? And the little boy said, oh yeah, I did my part. I did all the sinning. And Jesus did his part. He did all the saving. Now, folks, that's some good theology, isn't it? I did all the sinning, and he did all the saving. He made purification for sins. And then he goes on to say here, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Sat down signifying... That his work in making atonement for our sin is done. He sat down. We don't have to have another Calvary every year. Jesus doesn't have to keep coming back in the flesh, in the incarnation, going to the cross, dying, being buried, being raised from the dead, ascending back to the Father, coming back, going through it all over again. One time was sufficient. There on the cross, he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. He sat down. But oh, there's something else great about this that we see in the Bible. You see, in Acts chapter 7, at the stoning of Stephen, Stephen said he looked up and he saw Jesus Christ standing and looking at him. There's a powerful distinction to be made. When it comes to our sin, what he did on the cross was complete. 
A perfect sacrifice never has to be done over again. And so Jesus has ascended to the Father and sat down at the right hand of the Father. The work of redeeming our sin is over. But when it comes to interceding for his children, his work is ongoing. It's never done. He stands to make intercession for us. Amen. Finally, the writer of Hebrews points out here that not only is Jesus greater than the prophets, but he's superior to the angels. Look at what he begins saying uh, in verse 4. He says, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has, in, he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will, be a, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. What's he pointing out here? Jesus has a better name than the angels because there is no angel that is known as God's only begotten son. Only Jesus has that name. He is deserving of the worship of the angels, he points out uh, here in verse 6. He says, let all the angels worship him. You see, if he were lower than the angels, he would need to worship the angels. If he were equal to the angels, the angels would not worship him because he would simply be one of them. But he is greater than the angels as the Son of God and so the angels worship him. He is the eternal creator God. Verse 10, he says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the works of your hands. He is creator. He's eternal. He says in verse 11, they will pierce, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years have no end. He's eternal. He's greater than the prophets, greater than the angels. And God is speaking in these last days to us through his son. God is not working now apart from his son. The question is, do you know him? Do you know him? Have you repented of your sins and come to faith in him? Have you come to that knowledge that the Holy Spirit has made clear to you that there is nothing in your power that you can do to redeem yourself? You have to come with that attitude, nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling. You have to come looking to Christ and Christ alone for salvation. Have you ever done that? I hope so. But if there's somebody here this morning during this Christmas season and you know that there has never been a time in your life that you have been converted. You've never been born again. Oh, maybe you've joined a church. Maybe you've gone to religious services periodically throughout your life. But you can never recall that your spirit has been quickened. 
that you've been regenerated, that you became a new creation in Christ. Is God drawing you to Him, to Himself this morning? Come to Him. I'd love to pray with you. Many here today would love to pray with you. And folks, to those who have already made that decision, I want you to see this Christmas season that Jesus Christ is worthy of all of our honor and all of our praise and all of our worship and all of our gratitude. He is worthy. You see, he's not just a king. He's the king of kings. He's not just a lord. He's lord of lords. To the architect, he's the chief cornerstone. To the astronomer, he's the bright and the morning star. To the butcher, he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. To the baker, he's the bread of life. To the carpenter, he's the master builder. To the diplomat, he's the prince of peace. To the doctor, he's the great physician. To the electrician, he's the light of the world. To the florist, he's the lily of the valley. To the geologist, he's the rock of ages. Jesus Christ is everything. He's worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise.